Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. I want you guys to see a little news clip. A Canadian man's love for exotic animals ended in tragedy over the weekend. One of several tigers Norman Bualda cares for on his property attacked and killed the 66-year-old man. He was so uh, emphatic that his pets were were they were they were they were family. Authorities say Bualda went into the tiger's cage to feed it. Moments later, a family member discovered his body along with the 660-pound animal pacing nearby. The family member locked the tiger in a separate part of the cage until an ambulance arrived. It's not the first attack on Bualda's property. Back in 2004, a 10-year-old boy was mauled by a tiger that was let out of its cage on a leash. Brian Thomas, the Associated Press. It is tempting, is it not, to think that your sin is small, that you can control it, and that it is cute. And none of those things are true. Maybe you felt like it was cute, but you fed it, and it got bigger. I fed it, and it got bigger. Anybody ever here, well, we'll see which generation. Anybody go to the movie theaters to see animated 101 Dalmatians? Your children are inspired, you find yourself taking a puppy home from the pound shortly thereafter. What is adorable at the moment is just a couple shredded couches away from not being (laughs) adorable any longer. How much more when your life is on the line? A 660-pound apex predator is your pet? It's cute? You think you're in control. What if I told you that you felt like you were in control until you didn't feel in control? What if it was just a feeling? What if it was just a feeling? You guys know, unless this is your first Sunday, we've started last week a series called Victory where we are going to explore 10 different things that Christ purchased for his church through his cross, through his empty tomb. Hopefully he's okay. And today we are going to talk about the 660-pound cat in the room, the one that you're locked in a cage with and you have no hope unless somebody does something. That something is called sin, a word that's not super popular anymore, Let me break it into English for us all. Walking up to Jesus and saying, I've got this. I'm smarter than you. I'm wiser than you. I love me more than you love me. Don't worry. I've got this. I'm pretty smart. If you're a human, you've done that. It's the air you breathe. It's the water you swim in. Same here. We all do it. And it is a good thing after finding out that God revealed to us that the wages of sin is death. What I earned in my rebellion was spiritual death. To find out that Jesus came in like a champ and defeated sin 
when he died on a cross. He was not just some victim of bad politics. He, was, he had a divine appointment on that cross. So part two, victory over sin. Read with me in Romans 6. If you do not have a copy of God's word, throw a hand up and we're gonna hand out Bibles right now. If you don't own a copy of God's word, it's our gift to you. Go to page 939 in that hardback. Everybody else, type in or flip to Romans 6. Read with me the chapter in its entirety. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Jesus Christ, with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to him to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. To use your whole body as an instrument to do, so use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you are no for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves of right to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give, you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You're now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do the, those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. 
If you read Paul long enough, the preacher doesn't feel like he needs to preach. Paul said it. Holy Spirit, teach us through our brother Paul today. Holy Spirit, move against hard hearts. Crush stone, birth hearts of flesh by your power, by your mercy for the glory of the Father. God, give us humility today to receive what you're saying to us. Let us be comfortable in the waters of I am wrong and Jesus is right so that we get blessing. God, we desire blessing God out of a Holy Spirit selfishness, knowing that when you bless your children, that blessing rolls out toward other people. The precious and strong name of Jesus Christ, we pray. God's people said, amen. Amen. A couple notes about the passage. Grab your pen. We're gonna do this real fast so we can get on to practical application. If you love Jesus, sin has no power over you. You know that? Oh, I'm I'm not sure you knew. Hmm. So you either, if you didn't know that, that was a good chance to get excited. Wait, I could love Jesus and sin wouldn't have power over me? Or if you already knew that, you've known it so long, you forgot to be excited. You've been to Cheesecake Factory so many times that they brought the New York-style cheesecake complete with cherry filling on top, and you didn't salivate. That's crazy. This is New York cheesecake, folks. It doesn't matter that you've had it too many times. It doesn't matter. It's still beautiful, isn't it? Oh, you see, cheesecake is beautiful to you every single time if it saves your life. Cheesecake's a bad analogy because it's helping kill you, right? Slowly but happily, right? But, but what if the doctor had to come to your house every day and give you a medicine to keep you alive? There'd be something very monotonous and something very life-giving going on at the same time. So brothers and sisters, let me tell you again, if you love Jesus, sin has no power over you. And I don't even actually have to explain it much. Paul did it. Did you hear that? When Jesus defeated death, he defeated sin. They kind of go together. They go together. You'd have to do theological backflips to figure out how could a Messiah defeat one without defeating the other? Why? Why do they go together? Because the wages of sin is death. What did I purchase for myself in my cosmic treason? Death. Separation from God who made me and all of the blessings that flow downhill from that? You're free. If you're investigating the faith, I want you to know what Christians believe about faith in Jesus Christ. You get to be free. You think that impulse to do what is selfish controls you? You can't possibly say no to it? Wrong. Philippians 1 tells us that the Holy Spirit is inside the Christian, giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases God. What more do you need than that? Desire and power. Desire and power. Second note about the text. Victory over sin means total surrender to God's plan for me. You loved that one, didn't you? That did not fit with your four-hour work week. That did not fit with your five-year plan. That did not fit with your I am the captain of my own ship. Every narrative we've been fed as Americans, we don't like surrender. What's that? Surrender, that's what Hitler does. Right? It's a matter of time. It's a matter of how much blood, sweat, and tears. But surrender is what somebody else does in the American story. So how, how are we supposed to open this thing? 
what on earth are we to do to open this thing and convince people that surrender is the way forward? Oh my goodness, we've got hard work to do. My Bible teachers are with me. We've got some hard work to do. See, you and I, our old self, our flesh, who I was before Jesus, rudely interrupted my paganism. My old self hates his sovereignty. I don't like him being on his throne. I want to be in control. I know you're not that way, but I am. I want to be in control. I like it that way. It makes no sense, but I like it that way. But what if, what if I was dying of a disease and there was a master surgeon at the local hospital? Wouldn't I have to like lay down on the surgeon's table and let the surgeon do what he or she will if I was going to be saved? There's something intensely active about surrender that forces us into a passive place. I actively surrender so that I can be passive in the healing that I receive. But you're, you're grabbing a knife, I'm doing it too, and you're cutting yourself open, and it hurts, and you're trying to look around in there and go, what's the problem here? You're an accountant, you can't do heart surgery. You're toast. If you cut yourself open, you're toast, and it hurt. Go all William Wallace on yourself, like, that's not cool. Surrendering to the God who loves you more than you love you, oh, now that's where we're gonna get the victory that he offers so, tell you an old Bible story in case you didn't grow up in church. There was this cool guy named Gideon. This is the original 300 before CGI. Three of you know what I'm talking about. That's okay. Gideon was called of God to lead God's people to fight away their enemies. And he had tens of thousands of warriors and it was still nowhere near what the Midianite army had. It looked like they were in big trouble. And God, in his infinite wisdom and sense of humor, says, who knows? You have too many soldiers, right? Bulgaria, by herself, declares war against the British Empire at the height of her power. And God says, hey, Bulgaria, you've got too many soldiers and too many boats. Huh? So Gideon probably freaks out at this point, but he obeyed and he did what God told him. And there are a couple of couple of uh, phases where God reduces the army of Israel to 300 men. If you've been with us the last few weeks, this is kind of like waiting until day four. Lazarus is really, really dead. God is going to prove his point. We did not wake Lazarus up when he had a bad sickness and he was mostly dead. No, he was toast. If you've got 300 against hundreds of thousands, you're in big trouble, right? You're in big trouble. See, Gideon wanted victory. People Gideon was leading wanted victory. The Midianites wanted victory. God wanted victory. And of all of those characters, who always gets what he wants? Yeah, the Thanos of the story right? God's the only one who's going to get what he wants. Guaranteed. Even if the journey is tough, he's going to get what he wants. So does it matter that Gideon only has 299 friends? Is that going to stop God's will? Okay, let me, let, let me do better math. 
If Gideon and all 299 of his friends quit and go home, is God up a creek without a paddle? Did Moses grab 300 warriors to deal with Pharaoh or did God deal with that on his own? Yeah, God dealt with that one on his own. So how does Gideon find victory? He starts off in a position of surrendering whatever his thoughts are, whatever his plans are, his own wisdom. He's gonna surrender that totally to the God who never loses. That's how he's gonna win. And that is exactly what it looks like in the Christian life today. You wanna beat sin? Fine, the victory is yours. The victory is mine. It's waiting for us. It's a total surrender to God's plan for who Greg Kaiser is becoming and how Greg's gonna get there. Because Greg cannot make a sanctified Greg. And the people said, amen, right? And, And you can't either. Jesus is making me something beautiful, something new, right? I'm not doing that. I am passively, I'm actively surrendering so that passively I can participate in my own redemption. Okay, those were your couple of details. Now we're getting to practical app. What does it look like to experience victory over sin? I am so glad that you guys asked because I happen to have an entire sermon prepared for such a time as this. Now, super practical, grab your pen. I can see results in my words, thoughts, and behavior. Right? These, these, are, these are those tense, ugh, like if you take it too far, you get into legalism, so we've got to thread the needle here. I am not talking about transformed words, thoughts, and behavior that so God will love you. That's nonsense. The cross of Jesus Christ proves that he loves you. We're asking now, how do I know that I'm actually transformed by the Holy Spirit? How do I know I actually love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, I, I can see results. I'm, I'm changing. Couple of practical tips on this one that I've picked up so far from others that have been a blessing. Number one, and this is going to take a lot of courage ask a friend, hey, what have you seen in me? What would you say the, the Lord has been changing me over the years? Where has He been changing me? Do you hear how loaded that was? We've apparently been living with enough intimacy that you know my junk at least a little bit, right? So when I say isolation kills and tell you to join a group, I really mean it, isolation kills. I need feedback from Neil. Neil, what sins were kicking my tail back in 2019 that now in 2023, what do you see the Holy Spirit doing? Because not only does Neil have perspective, Neil has the Holy Spirit inside him who might just right now deliver something to me that I need. When I feel defeated by sin, when I feel like there's no hope, when I feel like I have no power against sin, how's the Holy Spirit going to encourage me that he is actually winning the fight? Neil. Brothers and sisters encouraging each other and saying, this is what I see the Lord doing in you. Anybody, anybody here ever heard of anything more than encouragement to help motivate you? Anything better than encouragement? Yeah, not even Starbucks will do the trick. Encouragement, tell me that God is working. Tell me that you can see it. Like two of you just took a swig and you didn't bring me anything. Secondly, this is an encouragement as it relates to seeing results. Thought This is something that's been uh, pressed in on me the last couple of years. 
Consider journaling your prayers. Consider, this isn't in the blanks, consider journaling your prayers. Because as you're asking God to work in your heart, as you're asking him to work in your life, you can go back and read, right? What was going on a few months ago even? What was going on a few years ago? And sometimes you come across prayer requests and you go, oh my goodness, God answered that prayer. He changed me and I didn't even see it. It was so slow. It was so painfully slow, but I can see now. Thank you, God. What does it look like to experience victory over sin? First, I can see results. Secondly, I can confess my sin without justifying it. Anybody here ever heard a really, really lousy apology? All the hands should be up at the parents and grandparents. I'm, I'm really sorry that you made me mad so I punched you. We call that victim blaming. I'm really, really, you know, I'm really, really sorry that your feelings got hurt with what I said. That's closer, but still no. <laughs> or worse, I'm really sad that, sorry that you got upset. There is something deep in the human soul that thinks we have confessed sin when actually all that we've done is given a lame apology that had the words, I'm sorry, and so therefore it's an apology. (laughs) Primer, in case you're new to church or the rest of us who need to be reminded. It sounds more like David in Psalm 51 where we started off our service today. Oh God, you know everything that I've done. You know how vile it is and by your mercy, would you wash me clean? Let me translate that to a person. What I said to you was absolutely sinful. And I am so sorry for what I said to you. That was out of a heart of selfishness. It was wrong. Would you please forgive me? Like, it wasn't wrong because you got upset. It was wrong because an almighty God said it was. That's different. That's why verse four, against you and you alone have I sinned, O Lord. God is the one who's establishing ethics. Right and wrong is established by him, not whether you and I liked it or we were happy or sad. Or, no, no, no. You wanna know if the Holy Spirit's working in your life? You've got victory over sin? You can confess sin to the Lord first and then to brothers and sisters without justifying it, without wiggling around it. Because the thing is, you know what's crazy? Why would I justify sin if I believe I'm already justified? That was your theological bomb of the day. Just like, that was for free. If I've already been made right with the Father by the mercy of Jesus poured out through his blood on the cross, if I already have right standing before the Father, I don't have to justify myself before you. I don't have to make excuses for my sin. I just admit how vile it was. I celebrate that it's nailed to the cross. Because I'm gonna walk in victory, yo. We're not gonna sulk and... No, if that cross worked, I am not defined any longer by the old man acting like he's alive when he's dead. That's not me anymore. So I don't have to hold personally onto my behavior and take, you know, get my pride hurt 
Pride, if my pride got hurt, I'm still holding on to that old self. Like, that's me. No way. If you want to know if you're living in victory over sin, can you see results in your words, thoughts, and behavior? Can you confess sin without justifying it? I'm also living in victory if I can pursue practical accountability instead of avoiding it. When I was in high school, my pastor told a story of a guy who came to him and said, Pastor, I need help. What is it? He said, I am addicted to dirty magazines. And pastor said, oh, well, thank you so much for telling me. Let's go over to the store right now and we're gonna get all those big 50-gallon those big uh, trash bags. Let's go to your house right now and throw them all away in the bin and be done with it and, and celebrate the Lord. Well, uh, 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 um, um, well, you know, I just, I needed you to pray for me and... Um, uh, can anybody tell me what the problem is yet? I mean, I can treat you like a Catholic priest. I said it out loud so I feel a little bit better in my conscience and I go back to doing what I was doing. That's a sin in like four different directions. I am not your intermediary between Christ. You're disregarding Christ. You have no fear of him. You have no love for the people around you as you're training and coaching them to behave like you. Big problems. If you're actually acting out of a desire to put sin back to death where it is, where it belongs, then I'm gonna pursue real accountability. I defy you. I know we're in the age of the internet, but I'm gonna keep with this illustration. I defy you Maybe not your pastor, if he's the one you're closest to, fine, but show up to your disciple group. Show up to somebody in your Sunday school class that you're closest to and have the bag of trash bags, have that box already purchased and under your arm. But that's somebody who's serious. This is going to hurt like you're ripping my heart out of me because that's how idolatry works, but I can't do it alone. Would you go with me, please? Please. How do you know you've got victory over sin? I can read the Bible with joyful hope, not fear of condemnation. If you are afraid of your father when you've done the wrong thing, you're not behaving like a son. A son, even when they've done the wrong thing, they run to their father. Brothers and sisters, how do you read the Bible? Do you come expecting a blessing? Because as he transforms you, he gets the glory, you get the joy, and others are blessed around you. Are you expecting a blessing when you open the scripture? So I, I always say, and it's, it's true in all of our lives, we would read this more if we expected a blessing. I open the cookie jar for one reason. I have expectations those expectations are going to be met as long as there's at least one cookie in there. Let me ask you guys a question. ARCF, how many cookies are in here? Right? A lot of blessings up in here. Doesn't mean the blessings are going to be easy. Some of them are very painful. There are a lot of blessings in there. How do I know I'm experiencing victory over sin? 
I can see results in my life, whether it's through a friend or through a journal. I can confess my sin without justifying it. I can pursue practical accountability instead of avoiding it. I can read the Bible with joyful hope, not fear of condemnation. So, who doesn't love a warning? Let's get dark. Okay. You know the part of you wants to bargain with sin? A part of you wants to fight it? Our brother Paul, first century pastor that we read earlier, he said it this way, oh, what a wretch of a man that I am. I do that which I don't want to do. I don't do the things I do want to do. Who will save me from this? And he points to what? Victory that's inherited through Jesus. Victory that Jesus, he's gonna yank me out of this. My physical death is gonna be a deliverance. I won't have to fight with the flesh anymore and I'll finally only and ever have the desire to please God and we call that heaven. Do you know how right connection to God and people is heaven? You know, because again, the streets are paved with gold. So all that glitters in this life, all that you work so hard and toil for, it's just asphalt when you get on the other side. So there has to be something more beautiful over there. The full presence and power and beauty and mercy of your crucified Savior. That's heaven. You will not sin against him anymore. You will not sin against your brothers and sisters anymore. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. You know that part of you wants to bargain with sin. Part of you wants to fight it. That old self and the new self born of the Spirit. You know that, right? Do not think that you can tackle sin lightly because one of your enemies is inside you. That old self is kicking and screaming and being dragged to his or her cross. That whole, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, it is Christ who lives in me, that's a lot scarier verse than we think it is. The old Greg is being dragged to his death on a cross and he will fight and he does. I have software on my phone and I have accountability partners because the old Greg fights like hell. The new Greg fights like heaven. Who's gonna win? Who's going to win? See, Yahweh's the only one in the equation who always gets what he wants, and he who began a good work in me, right? He's faithful justice. So, I want to show you a movie clip, and I want you to watch the British Parliament, and they are trying to figure out, do we bargain with Hitler, it's May 1940, or do we fight? Do we bargain with Hitler, or do we fight? And you're going to see the faces of people in the room. The majority party at the time, historically, was not with Churchill. The majority party wanted to make a deal and see how gracious Hitler would be. They were alone in the world and they could feel it. But you cannot win a victory until you decide that you're going to fight. So take a look carefully at what happens in the room while this group decides, are we going to make a deal or are we going to fight? To the question of invasion, I would observe that there has never been a period in all these long centuries of which we boast when an absolute guarantee against invasion 
could have been given to our people. But I have myself full confidence that if all do their duty, if nothing is neglected, and the best arrangements are made as they are being made, we shall prove ourselves once more able to defend our island home, to ride out the storm of war, and to outlive the menace of tyranny, if necessary, for years, if necessary, alone. At any rate, that is what we are, are going to try to do. That is the result of his majesty's government, every man of them. You're right, sir. That is the will of Parliament and the nation. The British Empire and the French Republic, linked together in their cause and in their need, will defend to the death they are native soil. Aiding each other like good comrades to the utmost of their strength. <laughs> Even though large tracts of Europe and many old and famous states have, have fallen or may fall into the, the grip of the Gestapo, and all the odious apparatus of the Nazi rule. We shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end! We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with with growing confidence and growing strength in the air, we shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender! And if... And if... Which I, I, I do not for a moment believe, this island or large part of it were where we're subjugated and starving, then our empire, beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old! 
the old self and the new self are not a democracy. The old self cannot be persuaded through a powerful speech to fight sin. So it's not going to be a matter of voting if you're going to take sin seriously and God's glory seriously in your life. If you decide to fight, and I'm calling you to, if you decide to fight, your allies are the word of God, the Holy Spirit, and the community of faith around you. No one can decide for you to fight. You know what everybody's upset about? All of those uh, the protesters at the gay pride parade? You can be theologically correct and be a total jerk because you're focused on somebody else's sin. When the scripture says, um, so you're kind of a trip, you're a piece of work yourself. Maybe let's apply the blood of Jesus fully to you and proclaim the love and mercy of God after that. ARCF, there are only two options. You fight sin or church is a country club. Those are the only options. That's it. In country club Christianity, sin is cute, and I have this under control. It is a pet. It is a convenience. I like it. Quit telling me that it's dangerous. We can fight sin, or we can do the country club thing. Those are our options. And the only reason fighting sin is even an option is because our Messiah raised himself from death on the third day. He has purchased victory for us, and now he offers it freely as a gift. It is yours if you want it. If Christ's reputation amongst your friends matters, then putting sin to death is going to matter. If Christ's reputation in your workplace matters, putting sin to death is going to matter. ARCF, when you see Jesus one day face to face, face to face, what will you wish you spent your time doing? What will I have wished that I spent my time doing? So an encouragement for us. If Jesus has victory in the war against sin, every Christian has victory in every battle. You know the difference? Lots of battles, relatively small, they make up a war. And what if Jesus told you he's already won the war? You get to fight every battle by the power of his spirit the power of the word of God, power of the community of faith, already knowing where this is headed. Because victory's been given to you. It's been given to me freely as a gift. So here's the next step, and I want to challenge every one of you toward these next few weeks. We're going to be piecing together summer disciple groups. And this is of a group of 10 to 15 Christians that work hard to love each other, build friendships, and strengthen each other in this Christian journey. This is where encouragement comes from, where teaching and rebuke come from. This is where people bear one another's burdens. 
In the sign-up sheet next week, we're going to be pushing you back to that table to get in a group because sin is a lot like mold. It does really, really well in the dark. And you're gonna have a chance, spiritually, relationally, and maybe literally, you're gonna have a chance to build friendships so strong where the love of Jesus is so clear that all judgmentalism has been pushed away where you're gonna be able to show up to group with an entire box of black trash bags under your arm if you need to. Your elders will not stop until every one of you has access to a group that strong. Because to be a safe place for the sinner, our church cannot be a safe place for sin. It is killing us if we let it. And Jesus has victory for us. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna share a couple of announcements and we're gonna go celebrate baptism in the quad. How does that sound? Holy Spirit, would you please take Romans 6 and make it sink down into us? Would you please lead us to our next step, God, that I believe, I hope, is choices, God, big proactive choices away from isolation, away from darkness, away from keeping the family idols hidden. God, help us to love the light more than we love the dark. Give us victory, Jesus, every single day. Give us victory. You deserve for us to have the victory. In your strong name we pray, God's people said. Amen. A couple things going on in the life of our church. I looked and looked and looked through my phone for a picture of the stills holding the Kaiser babies, because that happens a lot. I couldn't find one but I found a picture of the stills holding babies. Next best thing. This picture is an announcement that you can help intergenerational fellowship. When men's ministries and women's ministries do a Bible study, they're doing something that's, idea is anyway, they're doing something gender specific. Sometimes you wanna get the genders together and you wanna definitely, I'm about to preach here, you wanna get the generations together. That was a good spot for an amen. Okay, we Americans, we, we don't see that gray hair is a crown of wisdom like scripture tells us. You wanna get the generations together? That's a, what a disciple group is for. Next Sunday night at the Kaiser's Place, if you're interested in facilitating a group for May, June, July, if you're interested in hosting, you say, hey, we could fit 10 or 12 people in our living room. I like having people over and putting out snacks. I'd like for you to come to the Kaiser House next Sunday night and the current uh, group facilitators. We're going to do a little training and encouragement and put people in the right spots. Uh, if you're a facilitator, just a reminder that um, elders need to sign off, okay? That does not mean that you're a theologian. You just kind of, you could smell a rat. If something bad happened in discussion doctrinally, you need to know the basics of the gospel, the basics of the Bible, not, not something extensive. Uh, but if you're interested, I want you to either talk to me this week or show up at my house next Sunday night, and we're going to be talking about what kind of group offerings we're going to have available to the church for May, June, and July. So this is an actual photo of some of our bushes at the far side of the parking lot. <laughs> I took this picture myself. I'm not sure you guys all believe me. 
But this is to announce that we're having a beautification project and you should come with your work gloves and your trimmers. Uh, Bruce did his best. He tried to get me to put this on the calendar earlier. I didn't get it on early enough and we got rained out. And so now a couple of months has passed. This is a great chance to illustrate servanthood to the kids and the grandkids, bring them out. There are just a lot going on on our property to make it nice and something that you're proud of um, to call the property that our church family owns. And so make sure to be here Saturday morning, April 24. We're going to have fun. I, I agree with you. Um, Dignity Health is going to be coming on property here in a few weeks. I'm really excited. This is really cool. Now that there's a one-shot vaccine, they're going to be providing COVID shots to the homeless here out of the Connection Center. And I know whenever Hart is involved in something, Hart's going to be running the showers during the same four-hour time. Um, you guys like to know. And so if you'd like to volunteer, call, text me, talk to me. Um, Hart is always happy to have more volunteers. They're going to be doing some boxed lunches while they're at it. But the main point during that week is to be making sure everybody has access to a COVID shot. Sound good? Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited about it. They just called us up and said, can we do it? I'm like, hey, do I get to poke somebody in the arm? And they said, no. <laughs> so I was bummed. Yes, you have to be homeless. It's literally government funded. So if you could get your wife to kick you out of the house real quick on Sunday, show up on Monday, bada bing, bada boom. No? Okay. I love you guys. It is time to party. If you've got kids, grandkids, nieces, or nephews in Kids Adventure, please uh, make haste, come grab them. And in about five minutes or so, we're gonna gather here in the courtyard, celebrate baptism. Love you guys. Have a great week.